Well, for my last announcement before we turn to the Word of God is uh, Wednesday night we have a prayer meeting. Uh, so if you can uh, make it here at the church, we want to start it at 7 o'clock uh, because we want to show that documentary. Uh, hopefully that will give you some incentive, incentive to come to the prayer meeting. And then after watching the documentary, that will give you incentive to prayer. Um, we, we desperately need revival. And uh, it, it's a work of a sovereign God. As Jeremy Walker says, you can't manipulate it. We can't just have a revival tent out there and just kind of uh, put it all together and, and manipulate it. And, you know, maybe through the music and um, through the, 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 the hand clapping and, and through all the man-made kind of things you see out there. It, it is a sovereign work of God. Thus, we need to pray. And I think Joel Beakey said it. What distinguishes those men... Uh, even women from back then during the times of revival to us is they were people of prayer. I don't think we're people of prayer. Uh, we don't know how to really wrestle with God and uh, ask him for the revival that we would love to see. Uh, our our country, uh, the world for that matter, is um, about as wicked as we've ever seen it. Um, and so the church needs to respond. And at least the, the minimum the church can respond in prayer. So... Uh, can we get you to come out Wednesday night? Uh, I think I said in the email, 7.30, but just so we can have time to watch the documentary and pray, uh, we'll start it at 7, all right? So uh, with that, and speaking of prayer, let's, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Last three weeks, including this week, so the last couple of weeks and today, uh, we've been uh, contemplating, meditating on the, the words of Jesus here in verses 7 to 12 of Matthew chapter 7. And if you saw in your bulletin, this is uh, entitled The Beggar's Logic, uh, and it's part three. And it is the last part. I, I'm, we're going to finish this today. But uh, this is perhaps the most important thing Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, because it's coming toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and if you get this, then you get the Sermon on the Mount. If you get this, you really get the key to the Christian life. Uh, if you get this, uh, you, you get the key uh, to living uh, the Christian life. So let, let's, let's hear what he has to say. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Therefore, in everything... Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. As I said, this little unit of verses, and we've been taking them as a unit. We could break them down in verses 7 to 8 and then 9 to 11 and then verse 12. Uh, but they're all together, and we need to take them all together. And all together, as I said, this is the key to living the Sermon on the Mount. You are a Christian or I should say, if you are a Christian, the Sermon on the Mount is for you. And as you walk from Matthew 5 all the way to the end of chapter 7, and everything that Jesus says there, that's for you. 
And as you do read it, you might come up with, well, how do I, how do I live this? How do I live this, this, this sermon? Jesus here is making some, some demands on me uh, that are hard. There's a lot of hard words. I mean, take, for instance, Matthew 5, 48. Be what? Perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How does that happen? Well, the answer, the solution to that is in these verses. As I said, this is the key to living the Sermon on the Mount. This is the key to living the Christian life. Or just to put it plainly, this is the key to obedience and faithfulness to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, which is what all of us as Christians want. And it all comes down to a particular word. And the word that we've been using is persistence. Persistence. Or or maybe two words, power and persistence. We need power to persist. And we need to persist in asking for power. I mentioned that the um, Puritans had a word for it, and they called it importunity. Uh, I'm not ready to revive that word. It's hard to say it. Importunity. But importunity is the idea of persistence. It's that idea that you see there in verse 7, asking and seeking and knocking. It's, it's the idea of pressing on and keep pressing on. It's the idea of keeping moving forward and not giving up and not growing weary. That's, that's what we need to hear as Christians. We've been going through the book of Hebrews, and that's the message they needed to hear. Don't give up. Yes, life is hard, and we do fall in temptations, and sometimes we don't know how to deal with our sin. And we don't know how to deal with our trials. And, and, the, and the flesh kicks in where we want to doubt God's goodness, doubt God's providence in our lives. But the message here is keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And primarily it is prayer. We'll talk about a, a number of the means of grace that we need to persist in. And, but the, the, the key and the main persistent is prayer. And this is why we call this the beggar's logic. The beggar's logic. And the reason why we call this the beggar's logic is because when you entered the kingdom of God, you were a beggar, right? The beatitude, attitude. You mourned over your sin. You were poor in spirit. You're hungry and thirsting after righteousness. You were a beggar. You, you, you had nothing in you that would count you as righteous before God to make you, um, in terms of having any merit towards God and God's favor that he would say, aha, yeah, you've done enough work, you've done enough stuff, you now can come into the kingdom of God. There was nothing we could do. Nothing, absolutely nothing. And that's why we say we were beggars. All of us who are Christians here this morning, all of us who are in the kingdom of God were beggars. You may not recall that far back, but you were. You cried out to God for forgiveness. You cried out to God to wash you, to cleanse you. And you understood that it was only through the death of Jesus Christ and His blood that we were washed. And through His death and His blood that God's wrath was appeased. But somewhere along the line, uh, we stopped begging. Somewhere along the line, we, we, we lost that beggar's logic. And this is why Jesus says you've got you to maintain it. You, you come into the kingdom of God as a beggar. And then you need to make up your mind that you will you, you, you remain a beggar. You make up your mind that you don't give in to that despondency. You don't give in to that depression. You don't give in to that sin. 
you resolve that, that you are in a war and that in this war, the spiritual war, you're an overcomer. You already know that you win. You already know that you wear the uniform that has Jesus' name on the back. So live like that. Keep on keeping on. Samuel Chadwick, who was an early 20th century minister, said this, There is no power like that of persistence, of Abraham pleading for Sodom, Jacob wrestling with the stillness of the night, Moses standing in the breach, Hannah intoxicated with sorrow, David heartbroken with remorse and grief, Jesus in a sweat of blood. And add to this list from the records of the church your personal observation and experience. And always there is the cost of passion unto blood. Such prayer prevails. It turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. End quote. That's what I want. That's what I hope we as a church want. I think every zealous Christian has that attitude. And that's why we need to keep on asking keep on seeking and keep on knocking. We don't give up. That's what Jesus is saying here. We're not legalists where we just tick the boxes and everything's okay. We're not antinomian where we just let go and let God. We wrestle with God. As I said before, these three verbs, seeking, or, or, or asking, seeking, and knocking, it's like, it's, it's, it's like bullets, bang, 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 right after another. They go together, and they're all present and, 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 and active, and they are imperative, so we do it constantly. And the word, as I said, is persistence. Now, this morning, I, I, we need to, to wrap this discussion up. I know the last two weeks have been uh, more of an introduction than not, and I have purposely gone slow because I don't think many Christians understand this, this, this idea of persistence. So if, if you've got your bulletin, inside the bulletin, you'll notice I gave you the outline. There's seven points that we need to, to work our way through, and we will finish this this morning. But don't worry. Some, some points, it's just a couple sentences and move on. Some are shorter than others. But th- those are the seven points of persistence that we want to work our way through. And we've already really covered the first two. Uh, and by way of review, let's just state for the sake of everybody, number one, the significance of persistence. What, what is the significance? Well, I hope I've already told you that. The, the purpose of su- persistence, the p- purpose of perseverance is to finish and finish well and finish with power. I, I read you earlier from Deuteronomy 4, and, and don't don't turn back there just for the sake of time. But in verse 29 of chapter 4 there in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses says, talking to the Israelites there on the plains of Moab, from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if, it's a big if there, you will find him if you seek him with what? With all your heart and with all your soul. In other words, even back then, you need to persist. Even then, you need to persevere. Even then, back there, you need to ask, seek, and knock. And it's interesting, in the Hebrew, uh, I'll just give it to you as a footnote, and I won't charge you for it, but in the Hebrew, 
It's in a, it's in a, a tense which we call the causative tense, a PL for those who know Hebrew. I'm not sure anybody out here does. But, but in, the, in, the, in the verb tense, the, the PL is what we call the causative, which means that the verb is intensified. So the word seeking there is, is intensified. You are seeking with full diligence. And obviously that comes out with all your heart and all your soul. Do we, do we seek like that? Do we ask like that? Do we knock like that? that? That's what we're called to do. Seeking. What's seeking? Seeking is earnest petitioning. Let me say it another way. Seeking is when you rearrange your priorities so that you can search for what you desire you ultimately want to find. Remember the parable of the lost treasure and the, and, the, and the pearl of great price? In both of those parables, the person sold everything just so that they could have the treasure. They could, sold everything so they could have the pearl. And if we want power in our life, power to obey, to be useful for the kingdom, it doesn't come rolling out of bed every day and just ticking the box and reading a, you know, a chapter uh, in your Bible and maybe on, on the way to work praying in the car. There needs to be some serious wrestling with God. And this is what we've been trying to say the last few weeks. If you were to move, keep moving in the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 12, don't turn there again, just listen. Something similar is said. There... Moses says, you shall not act like this toward the Lord your God, but you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name for, there for his dwelling, and therefore you shall come. In fact, as you move throughout the book of Deuteronomy, even throughout the book of uh, or the Old Testament for that matter, do a concordance study. Seek, 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 seek. It's a common word. So when Jesus it's coming here on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. He's not saying anything new. He's just carrying that same idea from the Old Testament into the New Testament. This has always been the quote-unquote secret for the believer's life. Jeremiah 29. Now, this is the exile. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found. Are you getting this? It's not just a tap on the door. It's a banging on it that the Lord wants. So that's the significance. Again, that's just a quick review. That's the significance of persistence. It's everywhere. It's from the New Testament to the Old Testament. And this is what the Lord wants. And this is where, if you want power in your life, you want to be useful as a Christian in your life, you need to do this. You need to persist. Now, the question then comes, well, persist in what? That's number two, the subjects of persistence. And in a word, it's the blessings of the kingdom. I mean, you think of all those things that you want in your life and all those things that you need to obey God in, all of that comes when you persist. When you persist in prayer, when you keep on asking, you keep on seeking, you keep on knocking, the Spirit of God comes and empowers you to do all those things that you're supposed to be doing. I mean, just in the Sermon on the Mount, you want joy in your life? You want to be found faithful? You want to be obedient to the law of God? 
You want to be righteous, kind, holy, sincere, not being a hypocrite? You want to be able to forgive your enemies, say nothing about forgiving each other? You want to be content, not be anxious? You want to be gracious toward one another, not judgmental? You want to be fair, wise, discerning, love? I mean, I can go right down the list, and that's just the Sermon on the Mount. Say nothing of all the other commands and demands of the Bible. And you can't do any of that without the Spirit of God. You can't do any of that without the power of God. Again, if you're wondering why your life is just kind of just moping around and just kind of floundering around and you just seem to just go from day to day with with no joy, here's the answer. Here's the answer. Again, in a word, we need persistence. And we need power to persist. We need power to obey. Now, that this... We said last week, so that's review. So now let's go into point number three and and look at the steps of persisting. How does it happen? Okay, Todd, I I hear you. We're told to persist. What does that look like? Well, there it is. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Those are the steps. Uh, The Puritan Thomas Manton wrote that, quote, if we don't receive by asking, then let us seek. If we don't receive by seeking, let us knock. I like that. He said, well, what does that look like? I mean, what does asking look like? What does seeking look like? What does knocking look like? Well, certainly prayer. I think we get that. Persistent prayer. But it is much more than that. I mean, you think of all the means of grace that God has given us to persist in that will result in power, which will result in our usefulness. You say, like what, Todd? Well, Think of, again, the means of grace. Number one, the hearing of the Word of God. Hearing of the Word of God. Faith comes from what? Hearing. And not just in salvation, but in sanctification. It's sanctification. Remember, we've always said it's it's the Word of God in the hands of the Spirit of God that does that conforming work in your life that makes you sanctified, that makes you more like Christ. You need the Word of God in your life. You need to hear it. Now, of course, you're at home, you, you, you read the Word of God, and you might listen to um, messages, sermons on the Internet, and good for you. But don't, don't disqualify the, the hearing of the Word of God at church. There, there was a, a famous sermon that David, a Puritan by the name of David Clarkson preached years ago. And he says, uh, and this is the gist. I don't know if this is it for, verbatim, but the gist is God likes to work in the tents of Judah, but he really works in the temple in Jerusalem. What is he saying? God works everywhere, and he can work in your house and wherever you are, but he really likes when the people of God gather. And what should be the preeminence point, preeminent point when the people gather? And we come together to worship, but as Luther said, the highest form of worship is the preaching of the word of God. I know each and every Sunday you you expect me to to come up and exposit the Word of God. But can I turn around and tell you, I expect you to be, you know, if I'm uh, I'm an expository teacher, I expect you to be an expository listener. What does that mean? I I, I expect you to be prepared to listen as much as you expect me to preach. 
What does that mean? I mean it means maybe getting to bed early. Maybe it means to prepare yourself. Uh, I mean, not just sleep, but prepare your heart, obviously. Uh, Peter says this, rid, or lay, rid means lay aside, put away, put out of your life. Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word. James says the same thing. He uses the same word, rid. Put out of your life all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility receive the word implanted. You need to prepare yourselves for the word of God. Obviously be in a church where they preach the word of God, but then prepare yourselves for that hearing of the word of God. This is, this is, the, this is where God speaks to us. He, God speaks to us, you know, not in a charismatic way, but, uh, but he speaks to us through his word, by his spirit. Are you prepared each and every Sunday to come and listen? Hearing the Word of God, but here's another thought. Again, we're talking about the steps of persistence, how it all happens. Hearing the Word of God, but meditating on the Word of God. We've said this before. The Bible never really talks about reading the Bible. It talks about meditating on the Bible. Your mind might go to Psalm 1. Meditating on the Word day and night. God told Joshua... It's on these, this law that you shall meditate it day and night, for then you would have success. New Testament is the same. Uh, think on these things. Meditate on these things, Paul says in Philippians 4. We've we, we got to learn the art of meditation. And I've said this over the years. It's prayerful reading, right? God's speaking to us. We speak back to him. It's chewing over the word of God. That's how you're going to remember. How many times do we read it? In the morning we read a chapter, and by midday we... Somebody asks you, what did you read? Oh, I can't remember. How do you remember? And more than remember, you know how to apply it into your life is by meditation. And if you're, if you're, if I picked your interest, I, I can give you tons of material. There's tons of material out there on, on what it means to, to meditate on the Word of God and what things to meditate on. So hearing the Word of God is one. Meditating on the Word of God is another. Last Sunday of every month, we have the Lord's table. This is a great means of grace. Self-examination. Self-examination. Is there any thorns or thistles growing in the garden of my heart that need to be uprooted? This is the time to uproot them. It's with that mortification. Are, are we engaged in killing sin? Because as John Owen said, you, you be killing sin or sin be killing you. Maybe the reason why we don't ask, seek, knock, and we don't come persistently to the throne of grace because we know we're hypocrites. We're so knee-deep in sin that, uh, what's the point? Being with God's people, that's another means of grace. You're, you're here. I, I trust you know why you're here. This isn't just a box to tick. You're here because Christians gather, gather on the Lord's Day, and they gather, again, to hear the Word of God. To lift up our voice with gratitude and song, but also to stir one another up in love and good deeds. We need each other. I don't understand Christians who don't go to church. You know people that say they're Christians but don't go to church at all? I don't get that. No one would have gotten that, say, 25, 30, 40 years ago, but it seems to be a trend. Well, I can worship God anywhere. I worship God in YouTube University, or where they listen to the sermons. You need to be committed to a local assembly. This is where your friends are. 
your brothers and sisters and covenantal brothers and sisters are. And then, look, again, we're talking about the means of grace as the steps of persistence and circling back to prayer. Again, persistent prayer. Let me uh, read you what John Piper says. John Piper, he's explaining here why more Christians are not seeking or asking, seeking, knocking. He says, unless I'm badly mistaken, one of the main reasons so many of God's children don't have a significant life of prayer is not so much that we don't want to, but that we don't plan to. If you want to take a four-week vacation, you just don't get up one summer morning and say, hey, let's go today. You won't have anything ready. You won't know where to go. Nothing's been planned. There is a race to be run and a fight to be fought. If you want renewal in your life of prayer, you must plan to see it. Therefore, my simple exhortation is this. Let us take time this very day to rethink our priorities and how prayer fits in. Make some new resolve. Try some new venture with God. Set a time. Set a place. Choose a portion of Scripture to guide you. Don't be tyrannized by the pressure of busy days. We all need mild course corrections. Make this a day of turning to prayer for the glory of God and for the fullness of your joy. End quote. The hymn writer gets it. The title of the hymn is, Have You Prayed It Through? by William Poole. Have you prayed all night till the break of day and the morning light drove the dark away? Did you linger there till the morning dew in prevailing prayer? Did you pray it through? And then the refrain, did you pray till the answer came? Did you plead in the Savior's name? Have you prayed all night till the morning light? Did you pray till the answer came? Probably not. I don't think any of us pray like that. But this is what Jesus is saying. You need to pray like this. That brings us to point number four, the stimulus of persistence. The stimulus. I mean, the question here is, well, what is the stimulus or what is the motivation? Why, why, why should we keep asking and knocking and seeking and not give up? Uh, go back to your text there. And the answer comes in verses 9 to 11. It's a simple answer. See if you get it. Jesus says, Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? What's the stimulus? What's the the motivation for persistence? Did you catch it? It's the character of God. You see that? It's the character of God. It's His goodness. That's our motivation. It's His benevolence, His love, His wisdom. Listen, if you don't believe that God is good or gives good gifts, and remember the parallel text in Luke 11, the good gifts is the Holy Spirit. If if there is any doubt in you that God is not good, you're you're not going to be asking, seeking, and knocking, are you? Right? If there's any unbelief there, any doubt, any uncertainty on the character of God, if you bought the lie that He's not good, no wonder your prayer life is the way it is, non-existent. I mean, what would be the point? You would just be going through the motions. Do what you quote-unquote could. Just tick the boxes where there's no real zeal, no real enthusiasm. It's just a religion to you. And again, you, you wonder. 
You wonder why there's no change in your life. There's no maturity, no victory. Somebody asked J.I. Packer once, what's your best definition of a Christian? And he said, a a Christian is one who calls God Father. I thought that was good. Because not everybody can call God Father. I know they're out there thinking that God is the Father of everybody, but He's not. You're either the, you have God as your Father or you have the devil as your Father. Because there's sons of God and there's sons of the devil. There are two types of people in this world. And it's interesting in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brings that out 16 times. He refers to God as Father, as either as His Father, as your Father, or our Father. He's your Father. And notice the comparison here. You, obviously, earthly fathers, uh, unless they're whacked in the head, always gives good gifts, or at least tries to give good gifts to their kids. And, and they're limited to what they can give. The Heavenly Father is unlimited if you ask and seek and knock because he is all good all the time. That's why I've said over the years, you, you, you've got to be a student of providence. I've been rereading um, Stephen Charnock's book on providence. He, he's a Puritan and they just re-released it. Um, cleaned up the English so it's not that old King James type English. Uh, wonderful book. Just reminding us why we need to be students of providence. I mean, that's David. Why does David in Psalm 57 two say, I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. Why, why does he say that? Well, he says that because I've been walking with God for I don't know how many years, and I've been through the thick and the thin and the good and the bad, and he has always been what? My shepherd and I lack nothing. And in the bad... And even in the good, he's always accomplishing his purposes in me through providence. And I've said before, if, if you think you've got a, a, a bad deal by God sometime in the future, or, or in the past rather, it, it, you look back at your life and you think God w- was, was not good to you, that you got some raw deal, well, look at your life now. You, I bet you you're not really trusting him at the moment, are you? Or the future. And again, it's a word, in a word, it's unbelief. So what's the stimulus? The stimulus is knowing the character of God. Knowing that He's good. Knowing that He's faithful. Knowing He's kind and just. And He's benevolent and loyal. That immediately leads to number five. And that's the secrets of persistence. The secrets. The question here is, why don't we persist? Well, I just stated, the reason why we don't persist is, in a word is what? Unbelief. I mean, if power comes through persisting, then why don't we persist? I mean, ask yourself, how, how come I don't press on? How come I, I just give up too easily? And I, I'm, I'm there, right there with you. Discouragements are part of life. We get discouraged, and then we get despondent, and then we get depressed, and then if we, and, and then it spirals down to the, the, the despair. Where do we fight it? We got to fight it up here. Fight it, maybe fight it at despondency, but even fight it at discouragement, knowing that you know what, that life is full of disappointments. 
Life is full of discouragements. But I, I understand that God is a sovereign God. And my life is in His hands and He can do whatever He wants. I mean, you signed up for that, right, when you became a Christian? Your life is not your own anymore. And so the secret, the secret to persistence is, is the opposite of unbelief, and that's what? Belief. It's, it's faith. It's, it's faith. You need to strengthen your faith. And, and we go back to the means of grace. All those means of grace is how you strengthen your faith. Book of Hebrews again. What was the issue there? Unbelief. They needed their faith to be strengthened. And how did the book of Hebrews do it? It, it painted a... Uh, a portrait of who Christ was and his majesty and his supremacy. He's better than, better than, better than. You need to see Christ again. You need to go back and survey the wondrous cross again. That's the secret. In a word, it's faith. Faith. Remember Jesus in Matthew 6, be not anxious, be not anxious, be not anxious. And he basically says the reason you're anxious is because you owe ye of what? Little faith. I mean, if we had to get in there and uproot, you know, why we're discontent, why we're just depressed, what's, what's the cancer growing in there? It's unbelief. And so if you want to persist, if you want to keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking, so you have that power in your life. To be all that you want to be, but all that God demands you to be. And you need to be a, a, a person of great faith. Strengthening your faith. And trials do that. Don't waste your trials. Trials come into your life. Uh, all trials come into your life in order for you to be, what, mature. Isn't that what James says? That's why he says, consider it all, what? Joy. Because God is maturing you. Don't kick against it. Accept it. Let God do His refining work in your life and mature you so that your faith is strengthened. Number six. A couple more and we're done. Let's talk about the, let's see if I can say it, the saboteurs of persistence. <laughs> what, what's, what do I mean by saboteurs? The, the enemies. Okay, I, I've got you. Yes, Todd, I, I get it. I, I need to persist. I need to... Ask God for power to persist. Persist, but uh, what are the enemies out there that might hinder me from persisting? Well, if you were to ask Jesus, he would turn around and look at the scribes and Pharisees and say, "Well, don't hang around those guys. Don't hang around the legalists. Don't hang around the antinomians." Because you need grace in your life, and those guys kill grace. One's adding to grace, and the other's subtracting grace. They're gospel killers. They're grace killers. They're persistent killers. And, of course, unbelief. Thomas Watson says this, Unbelief destroys hope. And if your hope is destroyed, persistence will follow. Unbelief raises a cold of despondency in the heart. Alas, unbelief says, you will never be able to go through the works of religion. There are so many precepts to obey, so many temptations to resist, so many afflictions to bear that you will never overcome. 
You will just fall under the burden. You will tire in your march to heaven, end quote. That's unbelief. And remember, unbelief at, at, its, at its root meaning is an unbelief in the character of God and the word of God. That's what he brought on in the garden, right? What did Satan do? What, you know, when, J, when Paul says we're not ignorant of the schemes of the devil, I mean, we know exactly how he operates. And what is that? What's the twofold scheme of the devil? And it's a twofold, so it's not complicated. He gets you to doubt God's what? character and if he can get you to doubt God's character he'll get you to doubt God's word because it's exactly what he did with with Eve and Adam and that's what he still does today he gets you to doubt God's goodness and you start doubting God's goodness what's what's next you start doubting God's word you're not even near his word you can't read his word if you have little faith or no faith if you're in a state of unbelief so when we talk about the chief enemy here the sabotars uh, of persistence, well, we, we can talk about unbelief as the chief one, but I, I can add a few more. Worldliness, if you start you know, having one church and uh, one foot rather in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of the world, that's going to... There's no asking, seeking, knocking in that. I mean, the world and its passing pleasures will cool heated affections and snuff out any desire to persist. Maybe there's this uh, secret sin that you've been coddling, some besetting sin. Remember David in Psalm 19.13 says, Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Maybe there's a particular sin in your life that you just aren't having any victory over. And that's keeping you away from asking and seeking and knocking. Despondency, as I said earlier. Depression. Laziness. Let's throw that in there. Some of us are just plain on lazy. Bad friendships. What's the company you keep? Bad company corrupts good morals. You can't. You're not going to persist when you've got a friend who is a friend of the world keeping you back. Bad theology will, will keep you away. Bad response to trials will keep you away, as I said earlier. It's a strong faith that will overcome and persist over those things. So we need to be aware. We need to be aware of what to persist in and those things that might hinder us. And then lastly, we've got to wrap this up. The sum, number seven, the sum of persistence. And you go back to the text. This is, this is the therefore in verse 12. You see that? Remember, we're taking this as a unit, verses 7 to 12. So we come to verse 12, and it begins with therefore. Which is the, you could say, the other end of our persistence. Or, or to say it another way, what is the evidence that we're actually persisting? How do we know if we're actually persisting? How do I know that I'm actually asking and seeking and knocking? You, Todd, you give me, you know, the, uh, why we need to do it. You've told us what, what, what to persist, uh, the subjects of persistence. you told us how to persist. I, I still need help on, how, how do I know if I am? What will be the evidence Well, real quick, you go back to chapter 5. You go back to chapter 5 at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. You, you see verse 1. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to teach. Now, he, he's primarily teaching to his disciples, but you know there's a crowd that day. Because at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the people were astonished. Never heard a man like this teach before. So it wasn't just the disciples there. 
But like every sermon, there's structure, there's order. And the first section is the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes basically teach the Christian's character. Right? Again, this is for Christians. This is, this is a message for those who are already in the kingdom. This isn't a message of how to get in the kingdom. You, the, the assumption is you're already in the kingdom. You are already born again. You're already regenerated. You already have the Spirit of God in you. And the king is giving his manifesto, the Messiah is giving his manifesto and says, if you're going to be a believer, if you're going to follow me, Jesus says, this is how you are to live. And he starts with the character. And the character is, this is the beatitude attitude you're supposed to live like. What kind of, what, what kind of character are you supposed to have? Well, uh, we just go right down the road. You're to be poor in spirit. You're to have um, a mourning over your sin. You're going to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You're going to show mercy. You're not going to be a hypocrite. You're going to be pure in heart. You're going to be a peacemaker, so forth and so on. This is the character of a Christian. And on the heels of that, the next section is what we might call the Christian's conduct, which comes in verses 13 to 19. And in two words, the Christian's conduct is you're supposed to live as salt and light. You're supposed to live in salt and light. So character flows into conduct. And then we pick up from verse 17. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Remember we've said the last two weeks that we know he's coming to an end of this section, this third section, because in chapter 7, verse 12, he says, Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. So we repeat the law and the prophets, which tells us, gives us the clue that this third section that he began in 5.17 comes to an end in 7.12. And what is that section? So you've got the character, Christian's character, the Christian's conduct that flows into what? A whole discussion on the law and the prophets. Because the question comes, if this is to be my character and this is to be my conduct, what is, what is the source that... Pulls that out. What is the source that teaches me that? What is it that is the means that um, makes me be all that the Beatitudes wants me to be and to be salt and light? In, in a word, it's the law of God. It's the word of God. That's the next section. And as you, as you move through chapter 5 into 6, it's, it's all an exposition of the, of the law of God. Again, you, you look at verse 27 of chapter 5. Uh, you look after a woman with less, you've committed the seventh commandment, right? Uh, if you, um, or even go back to verse 21, if you're angry with someone, you've committed the sixth commandment. All right, you may not stab the guy, but you, 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 you murdered him in your head. I mean, what Jesus is doing here in this third section is reviving, not revising, but reviving the law of God. It's giving, he's giving his proper intent. Because he says, not one jot or tittle will ever fall away. I've come to fulfill it. Now, he certainly fulfilled the ceremonial law. He certainly fulfilled the, the, the civil law. And in another sense, he did fulfill the moral law. But it is the moral law that he's talking about here. I mean, this is the, the, the commandments. He, he works through the seventh commandment, the tenth commandment, the sixth commandment. You go to verse 31 of chapter 5. He, he, he deals with the eighth commandment, verse 33. Um, the ninth commandment, verse 38, he deals with vengeance. Verse 43, he deals with hating. Uh, verse, and you come into chapter 7, he, he deals with judgmentalism and how to be fair and gracious. My point is that 
as you move from the first section to the second section, the third section tells you how to live so that your character is a beatitude attitude. The third section, which is the law of God, tells us how to be salt and light. And so when you come out at the end of this section, chapter 7, verses 7 to 12, the two questions that should be on your mind is, how can I have a beatitude attitude? How do I have uh, that Christian character that I'm supposed to have? How am I supposed to be salt and light, the conduct that I'm supposed to be have? have? How am I supposed to live the, the, the law of God and the word of God that he, 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 he's just given all these verses on what, that, that are demanded of me? I mean, how am I? I get angry, right? I might take the Lord's name in vain. I don't love my enemy as I, I, I should. So how, how do I live this life? It seems absolutely impossible. There, there seems to be a desperation at the end of all this. And that's why he says, well, the only way you're going to get it is that you've got to what? Ask. You've got to seek. You've got to knock. And what are you asking, seeking, knocking for? Good gifts. And what are those good gifts? You need the Spirit of God. You need the Spirit of God for that power in order to live like the character you need, like the conduct that you're supposed to, and according to the law of God as you should. We call that the Christian's course, just to keep the seas there. But here's the other thing. Come into verse 12. What does he say? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. That, that, sounds, that sounds odd. I don't know about you. And where does that come from? It sounds like a non sequitur. But as I said, it comes back to the question of how do I know how do I know that I'm asking, seeking, and knocking? It'll show up in your life. And it'll show up in your life how you treat one another. You're going to have the power to obey the commands. And remember, the, the, the moral law, the tenfold aspect of, of the law can be reduced to the twofold aspect, which is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And... Your neighbor is yourself. You want to know how your life is reflecting that you're loving the Lord your God? It will be reflecting in how you treat others. If you're not treating others according to the law of God and how you want to be treated, then you better ask and seek and knock for some power in your life to persist in obedience, to be faithful to the... Does that make sense? You know, they call it the, the golden rule. You can actually call this the golden vision. Uh, because uh, the Christian life is all about perspective. It's all about the, a, a new perspective on God. It's a new perspective on, on you as Christians. It's a new perspective on my neighbor. It's, 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 it's a new perspective on everything. It changes my whole worldview. Alistair Begg said divine power is displayed not in dramatic manifestation that intrigue men, but in lives of quiet confidence and steady persistence that glorify God. This week I was watching, I just went onto YouTube and I typed in, in preparation for our conference, I just typed in crazy charismatic churches. Um, I just wanted to see some clips that fire me up. And I found them. 
Um, I mean, there were clips, people rolling on the ground, people shaking violently, people laughing hysterically. And some of you perhaps have been in those churches. And they, they call it the anointing. They call it this manifestations of the Spirit and the power of God. And all I thought was what Jesus says here. Yes, we need power. Anointing, I'm happy to use that word. But we need power to persist. Power to obey. Not power to roll around and laugh, shake like a madman. That's, that's That's not what he's saying. So wrapping this up, what did we call these verses? We called them the beggar's logic. That is, you come into the kingdom as a beggar and you look at all that you need to obey because that's the yoke. His yoke is light. Jesus says, come to me. My yoke is light. But even in the lightness, you, you look at it and you say, how do I do it all? How do I become perfect? Well, that's because you need to ask, seek, knock. You need to persist in asking for power. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us that persistence. Again, you come into the kingdom as a beggar and you continue to live in the kingdom as a beggar. I, I trust all of us want to be used by God. I don't think any of us want to be powerless and useless. But if you want to be used by God, be a zealous Christian, zealous for good works, the Apostle Paul says, this is how we do it. Persistence. Father, we thank you for our time in the Word of God. And the message I think we all need to hear, including myself, is that... uh, Our priorities aren't what they should be. Our our, our mind isn't where it should be. Certainly our prayer life isn't what it should be. But we do want to be useful to the kingdom. We want to be that salt. We want to be that light. We want to be uh, that salt and light by the, the... obedience to your word but we can't do it in and of ourselves we need your help we need the spirit of God and so we persist in prayer that you would give us that power by the spirit to be useful and we ask it in Jesus name Amen well the music team